Welcome to the podcast for Resurrection Lutheran Church in Fredericksburg, Texas. I'm Pastor Garrett Buvinghausen. Today is Tuesday, December 8th, 2020. We are continuing on in our study of the book of Jonah. Last week we touched on chapter 1, and if uh, you want to know of a more thorough study of that, please go back and watch or listen to that episode. This is a podcast after all. You should listen to these things. But today we covered chapter two. We go through some review, but for deeper um, study on that, go back and listen to chapter one. But without any further ado, about let's just dive into chapter two of the book of Jonah. Let's begin here with a word of prayer. So, the Lord be with you. Also with you. Let us pray. Stir up our hearts, O Lord, to make. Ready the way of your only begotten Son, that by his coming we may be enabled to serve you with pure minds. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. That is the the collect or the... uh, prayer of the day for this last Sunday, and I have it readily available in my congregation at prayer. So if you need a congregation at prayer, um, they're right here. Uh, So grab one if you'd like, and then uh, before we begin, I'm I'm just making these pitches because, you know, prayer is always important, and this, you know, some people, I think, myself included, like the idea of praying, but the practicality of it, it's not always easy. So, um, this is a way, and Donna, this, just so you know, this is what we do every week. I make these where they are, um, here, I'll even just give one to you, okay. so you can just kind of see what I'm talking about. So you see that this is just like a structure, right? Um, and I was talking to a pastor a couple weeks ago, he's up in Montana, and he was saying, you know, uh, that he was talking to one of the other pastors in town, he's a Baptist pastor, and he said... You know, uh, you know, Baptists usually like to just pray from the heart. You just pray what's on your heart, and that's good. Um, but sometimes we need a crutch, you know, and we need a little structure to get things started. So um, this leaves room for praying from the heart. It just puts it within the scaffolding, I guess you could say, of the structure of these things, like beginning in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, <laughs> the Apostles' Creed, there's a psalm there, and we should pray the psalms, and we'll get to why that's important in Jonah today. Um, But yeah, memory work, the creed, you know, the catechism, things like that. There's a bit of a hymn there, no music, so if you know the tune, then you're okay. But uh, there's also a verse for the week, there's a prayer list, there's all kinds of stuff. So, um, we do it at home, we're trying really hard to do it at home. It's a little hard with uh, a three-and-a-half-month-old, but... Uh, She pays attention as best she can, Uh, but it's good for her, and it's good for everybody. It's good for everybody uh, to just have these things on your heart. So, I would encourage y'all to pick up one if y'all don't already have one. Um, And then also, the uh, Advent devotionals here, now at the last and unto eternity, following the the theme for our Advent midweek season. Um, I've really enjoyed them. I don't know if... Have it... Have any of y'all been following along in those? I really enjoy them. They're they're pretty good. Um, Give you a lot to think about, for sure. And they're very contemporary in the sense that they talk about things that are going on right now and how we should see them as Christians. It's really nice. So I'd encourage anyone and everyone to uh, pick those up if you're so inclined. Um, And pray that God blesses you in your daily devotions, right? Uh, because I know that, well, there's one last thing I'll say before we get into it. You know, every Sunday we say the Nicene Creed before we have communion, and someone commented, it's like, Pastor, we never say the Apostles' Creed anymore in church. And I said, well, you should be saying it every day. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you should be saying it every day. If you're following along in the congregation of prayer, you should be saying it every day, so you shouldn't have any lack of saying the Apostles' Creed. It's just that we don't say it in church. So, but I, I get the sentiment. I'm just jabbing, you know, I'm just having a little fun. 
But um, hopefully every day, or at least most days, you're saying the creed, you're reminding yourself and making the good confession, praying as our Lord has taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, and going from there, right? All right. Well, let's do a little quick recap for... Um... I find myself... Yeah, sorry. I find myself reminding me of my mother. <laughs> you know, we were raised Catholic, mm -hmm. and she always did her rosary and mm -hmm. prayed and did all this stuff yeah and in the back bedroom yeah and uh, i always shook my head <laughs> but she so, prayed for you a lot she prayed for all of us but anyway good when, that when, prayer when, was when, answered when i do that congregation of prayer and I've done that, the other thing you gave us there. The Advent devotional, yeah. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, I'm, I'm my mother all over. <laughs> well, sitting, you know. I'm not lighting candles. Right. You can or light candles if you want to. Or I don't have a rosary. You know, honestly, uh, so. I'm sitting there doing what she was doing. It's true, yeah. You know, and, and a rosary. In the proper way of using it is not bad to keep track of things or even to just fiddle with something while you're praying so you keep your mind off of your hands and you can focus on your prayers and uh, of course we can get all in, in, into all that later but you know even uh, Martin Martin Chemnitz who was uh, one of the authors of the Book of Concord had a, uh, a prayer rope basically had knots in it and he would keep track of how many times he said the lord's prayer anytime he sat and just did his devotions and things like that right so it's there are little tools this is a tool right this is an aid and i'm glad that you use it i'm glad that it's a, a benefit and a blessing to you where do these come from alice doesn't do it these no oh these yeah i make these you type all that in there, buddy? <laughs> no, ma'am. It's a template. No, it's a template. Um, I really just plug in. The only thing I change is the psalm, the daily readings that I get from a book. You know, that they're already laid out. Uh, and then I just keep the, I put in the prayer. Uh -huh. It's a lot of copy and paste, really, thank, thankfully, yeah. to word, word processing and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it's not a lot of work for me. It takes about 15 minutes for me to make it. So. And you print it here? Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. Print it here and give it to y'all. You know, that's part of my work. Yep. And you can, f and for anybody listening, listening on the podcast here with this microphone in the middle of the room, anybody listening, you can find the Congregation at Prayer to print at home for free of charge. So, the service that we do for the world at large. All right. Well, uh, let's, let's get going here on um, Jonah. So let's do a quick recap because really the, the person that suggested we do Jonah wasn't here last week because she was on vacation. So for her sake, what sort of review can we do on Jonah chapter 1 to get her caught up? Like what did we talk about last week on Jonah chapter 1? The sign of Jonah. Yeah, the sign of Jonah. What, what specifically? This generation... In coronavirus, wants to have a, <laughs> yep. a sign from heaven that the communists rule, the capitalists and the capitalists rule, the Mormons and the Mormons rule, the Mohammedans and all that BS. <laughs> it's a question of does God or the devil rule the world? Right. Well, and everything in it. Well, Jesus said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, right? And he also said, I have overcome the world, right? And he said on judgment day, every knee will bow. And every tongue shall and confess. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Mm -hmm. And who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Son of God, mm -hmm. and the Savior of the world, and the ruler of all things. Anybody that denies this that theologically, politically, economically, socially, culturally, or any kind of way is a liar. Yeah. And sometimes unknowingly, right? So that's, that's something yeah, I have to keep in mind, too. I All right. I'm going to say nothing. I just said nothing. <laughs> okay. So 
The sign of Jonah. Let's go back to that. We talked last week about whether or not Jonah actually happened. In fact, remember, I, I, I made the confession that my mom even asked me, you know, like, did Jonah really happen? Because I've heard from these people and then that people. Was it a true story? And yes, it is a true story because, well, uh, it's in the Bible and everything in the Bible is true. We hold that to be a fact as Christians, Bible-believing Christians, right? You can't be a Christian without believing the Bible. Uh, so it's kind of redundant. But we know it, we can look at all these different things of, you know, historical narrative and who Jonah really was in history and all this stuff like that. Or we could also, and we could also look at who confesses this as a true story, and that is Jesus Christ himself. People asked for a sign from Jesus, and he said, this generation will not be given a sign except for the sign of Jonah. And just as uh, Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, so the Son of Man must spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, right? And rise from the dead. Uh, and Jonah was as good as dead in the belly of the fish, right? So, like I said last time, a great apologetic, and that is a, a defense of the faith, is that we can prove from eyewitness testimony in the scriptures that Jesus Christ died and was dead for three days and rose from the dead on the third day, right? And so, because of that, if we can factually prove that Jesus Christ is the only man in history to die and raise himself from the dead. We should listen to what he has to say because it's probably pertinent, to say the least, right? And if he says Jonah's true, I believe him. That's true, right? Um, so that was a big, a big deal. Um, what else did we talk about with Jonah chapter 1? Um... Y'all remember God's will for us versus our will for us? Yeah. And the conflict of that, I suppose. Yeah, the, the struggle that we have. Uh, in a lot of ways, Jonah is a cautionary tale, right? What, what, what not to do when God uh, desires for us to go on a certain path, right? So, I re remember I mentioned that Jonah is kind of satirical as well. It's... There's, there's, there's actual humor in the Bible, believe it or not. It can be kind of funny when, when, you, when you look at things in a certain way. Jonah is kind of a humorous book because of the irony involved in certain things. So if we look at Jonah, remember we, uh, we, we read through chapter 1, uh, where the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to... Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Uh, but then Jonah arose and f uh, to, to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship. So he's going, and he's doing all these things to avoid what God has told him to do, which is bring word of salvation to the Gentiles in this certain place, right? So to avoid this, he gets on a ship, and he tries to flee uh, foolishly. And while he's on this ship, there's a great storm. And the sailors, the mariners, are Gentiles themselves. We know that because they cried out to their false gods, right? You can see in your Bible, lowercase g, right? To, uh, they cried out. So every man cried out to his god and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. Uh, and Jonah gone, had gone down, and they, you know, did they cast lots to find out on who this was coming, you know, this great storm, and they found out it was Jonah, and they said, who are you, and where are you going? And he said, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord Yahweh, right? So, ironically, he's trying to avoid this mission and this call from God to go and preach the, the name of the Lord to Gentiles, and while he's fleeing... He winds up preaching the name of the Lord to Gentiles. Isn't that kind of funny? <laughs> it's a little ironic, isn't it? Uh, whether you like it or not, you're going to do, the, or these, these things are going to take place, you know, and so better get wise, I guess you could say. But it's ironic that 
Jonah says what? He says, um, uh, let me see here. It says, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Isn't it ironic that you believe in this God who created the sea and the dry land and then you, can, you think you can get away from him on the sea? There's a little bit of a conscience taking place there too. It's one thing to, to disobey and go your own way. It's another thing when you have to stand up before man and say, that's what I'm doing. Yeah, and it's funny... You know, they, well, because they, the, the other sailors put them on the spot. They drew lots and said, okay, who did it? Yeah, <laughs> whose fault is Whose fault is it? He had to confess, it's, it's my fault. In some I know way, what I did. Well, it's, it's, it's kind of funny. He's, he's making this confession, but he's not... It, we'll, we'll see more... Not, not yet, he's still... Well, we'll see more in chapter 2, just how deep the rabbit hole goes in terms of Jonah's... Uh, you know, cautionary tale, right, of what not to do. Uh, because well, he's still willing to disobey, and he's still willing to trust his own judgment more than the Lord's. But he doesn't want to drag anyone else down with him if that's the case. Hmm. I think that's interesting. Yeah. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know. I, well, I'm, I'm, I mean, what are you thinking? I'm thinking that he still has faith and trust in the Lord, otherwise he wouldn't offer himself to be thrown into the sea. Yeah, he does have faith, yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. And, I'm, and I kind of uh, threw out a spoiler last week. We don't, we don't see in Jonah, it's a short book, you can read it real quick, right? That if you read all of Jonah, you don't see the reason why he flees from this call until the last chapter. Chapter 4, verse 2, where he says, literally, like he says, I fled because I knew that you were a gracious God and that you would actually forgive these people if they repented. I didn't want them to be forgiven. I didn't want them to be saved. Right? Yep. So that's why I fled, because I just don't want them to have salvation. <laughs> it's not very nice. Well, it's not. <laughs> Jonah is a cautionary tale, yeah. Jonah is a cautionary tale. You say, well, why would you do that? And, and I remember I mentioned last time that Jonah is a prophet that is recorded in 2 Kings where um, he, it's, he's the prophet to Jeroboam II, who's the king of the northern kingdom of Israel when there's the divided north and south kingdoms. And... Jeroboam gained land in conquering the Assyrians' territory, and so why would he want to go preach to the people that they just conquered and took land from so that they would believe? The idea of the Israelites at this time was that salvation was only for the Jews. It was only for the descendants of Abraham, right? Uh, and, and that's one explanation that can say, you know, why would I want to go before the enemies of my people and preach to them repentance? But there's, the also, there's the other side of thing, it, things is that he knows the power of God. He's seen it himself because he preached repentance to Jeroboam that led to the conquering of the territories that they gained and things like that. So he knows God is powerful. He knows God is merciful and gracious. He just doesn't want the Assyrians to have it. He's selfish in a way for salvation. Uh, and again, cautionary tale. Not something we should aspire to in terms of uh, sharing the gospel with other people. Right? Um, it's not outside of the realm of, um, of history, I guess, uh, that with the, uh, the Israelites, that there, were, there are um, testaments in the Old Testament about how Gentiles were brought into the fold. Uh, Naaman as one of them, right? Uh, Rahab, uh, the, the, the uh, prostitute in Jericho, right, who hid the Israelite spies. And then she winds up being in the lineage of Christ, so Gentiles themselves find themselves in the, line, in the Messianic line. This is not outside of the realm of possibilities. And you know what? Jonah knows that. 
he knows it very well. Uh, and, we'll and we can assume that because of how he uses uh, language in this coming uh, song that he sings when he's in the belly of the fish. He uses the language of the Psalms. If he knows the Psalms well, he knows very well that God desires salvation for all people, right? Um, so, those are just a few of the things we touched on. Yeah. Have a question. Yeah, go ahead. To, to keep it country boy simple. Sure. That uh, reference to to chapter four. Mm -hmm. Is it? What what happened? Uh, I mean, who who is the world capital? Where where does God choose to rule from? Uh, I mean, is it is it down there in Egypt? Is it in Rome? Is it in Constantinople? Is it Jerusalem? Is it Nineveh? Is it Babylon? Is it is it London? Is it Washington D.C.? Is it Berlin? Is it? Why don't you just go ahead and tell us where it is? It, it, where is it now? But 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 historically. Isn't it true that at this time Nineveh was the capital of the world mm -hmm. on its way, and Jerusalem was still very prominent and a powerful thing because it was God's throne. But the time was coming when Nineveh in 722 would destroy that city, that that capital city in Jerusalem and burn it to the ground mm -hmm. and take all the inhabitants mm -hmm. and spread them out all over the world and get a new whole different people coming into that country. And this is, how, how did Jonah know this? Is that is that the prophet seeing all this ahead of time? I mean, did God reveal this to him? But is that what Jonah is referring to? Or I don't know. something here. That's a good. That's a that's a good question. I because that's what I've always understood that that, that somehow Jonah knew that this same Nineveh would come down and destroy Jerusalem and all of God's people and all of God's people would just get scattered all over the world. Well, that's not that's not outside the realm of possibility. Yeah, I I don't know explicitly if that is, but that's a fair assumption to make. But but. Yeah. You, you take this to the New Testament at the yeah. time of the persecution and, 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 and Pentecost where everybody's scared that the church is going to get wiped out. The church is going to get wiped out in Jerusalem now. And they got they get scattered all over the world too. In a different way, yeah. But what I'm saying is those people that got scattered mm -hmm. When Jerusalem fell to Nineveh, prepared all the different places where Paul and the old yeah. apostles went. Right. And converted to Jews all over the world. Yeah. That had been eleven working that's a good, that's all a good point. over in all the different nations where they were scattered. Right. It, it, yeah. It's, it's a deep mystery. So it is a deep mystery. The uh, the the will of God in the ways of uh, the workings of the will of God, contrary to our understanding, how things can be good when they seem like they're evil, right? The conquering of Jerusalem and the spreading out of the people, the lamentations of the people saying, why, why did God allow us to be brought away from our homeland and the temple to worship in a foreign land amongst strange people? Well, it was ultimately for the purpose, like you said, that it took what that that generation never saw it. The restoration of the people through the Messiah and the preaching of the gospel, that the gospel had gone out to all the ends of the earth, right? Did Jonah know that that was going to happen? Maybe. Maybe. That he went to uh, that he went to Nineveh and preached repentance so that they would be brought into the fold and, and knowing that later on they would be the ones to destroy Jerusalem and so on and so forth, right? Maybe he knew. Maybe that was part of his prophecy that he knew uh, so that maybe he thought that he could kind of hack the system and say, God, just go ahead and destroy them and then we'll skip this whole thing about where they take all of our people and spread them out all over the world. Wasn't it judgment? What was? The destruction of Jerusalem. It was judgment, yes. Uh, even on the people who were righteous, yeah. right? Um, it was judgment for sure that uh, the people were 
worshiping as they ought not, false gods, and um, yes, they did not heed the warnings of the prophets who preached repentance and faith. Yeah. So yes, it was judgment. All right, so we see here, just as a quick recap, we know the story. Jonah is supposed to go to Nineveh to preach um, repentance. He says no, goes down to Joppa, catches a boat. We said last week that he bought the boat and hired the whole crew and uh, decided to go to Tarshish, which many scholars think uh, is Tarsus, where later the uh, Apostle Paul would be from. This is a uh, wealthy city where he would be comfortable. It makes sense that Jonah would run because his name means dove. And we kind of talked last week about how doves are not necessary, not the smartest animals. Um, was it Tim? You said that when, when you're out dove hunting, you'll chase them from one spot and they'll go fly away trying to seek comfort and then they fly right back to where they were. You know, so they're not the smartest animals. They flee to seek comfort and safety. Uh, and that's what Jonah was trying to do. Um, foolishly, right? So he's flighty, he's flaky, he's living up to his namesake, being a dove. He's trying to run, but ironically he says, I believe in the God who made the heavens and the sea and all these things, right? And remember that the sea to the Israelites was a place of chaos. The Israelites were not a seafaring people. Uh, they stayed away from the sea. In fact, it's kind of interesting if you look at the book of Revelation. Where do all the beasts come from? They come from the sea, right? They come from the place of chaos. Um, so you see that they do not like the sea. The sea is a place where one cannot have a home, as it were. So he flees foolishly to the sea, thinking he can escape. Storm comes. The mariners uh, cry out to their gods. And then they ask him, you know, after casting lots, they find out that he's the one that this is all happening to. And they say, you know, cry out to your God. Um, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. Um, you know, let me see here. So then they ask him why he's done this because they knew that he f was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them foolishly again, right? Yeah, I'm running away from my God. Uh, and they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? And he said to them, uh, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that this great tempest is because of me. His reasons for doing this, we can, we can ascribe them, you know, he's trying to do the right thing, right? He sees the, the danger that he's bringing them into, so he says, Go ahead and, you know, for, for your sakes, throw me into the sea. And um, this will calm. And they don't like this idea, probably because he is their benefactor. He bought the boat. He hired them. They don't want to toss the guy who writes the checks into the sea because they get back to port. And <laughs> what happened to Jonah? Oh, he fell overboard. You know. Um, so it's interesting. They... They try and save his life and all their lives on their own, like Jonah tries to do initially, right? By rowing, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to Yahweh. They stopped crying out to their false gods and cried out to the one true God, confessed by Jonah himself. They cried out and said, we pray, O, o Yahweh, right? Whenever you see the small caps Lord. I don't know if that is in y'all's Bibles, but when you see the small caps Lord, um, small capitalizations there, that is usually a sign for the reader that they are speaking of Yahweh, the covenantal God of, uh, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Um, we pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with with innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. 
So they pick up Jonah and throw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now, remember how I said that in the English translations, there's a 17th verse, right? Uh, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. But in the Hebrew text, and even in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that is the first verse of the second chapter. And there's possible reasons why this is. The thought is that it's a cliffhanger, right? They throw him into the sea, they become faithful people, and they leave Jonah possibly dead. And you don't know if he's dead or alive, what happens to him until you pick up on the second chapter. That's the idea. For some reason in the English translations, they throw that verse at the end of chapter 1. But um, it's kind of an interesting thought to say, well, why would they change it and this, that, and the other, but we're not going to get into that right now. So we see that, jo that the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, right? So let's start with chapter 2. Finally getting to chapter 2. <laughs> That's okay. We needed some setup here, right? Chapter 2. Who wants to read chapter 2 for us? It's pretty short. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish, fish's belly, and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of the of the belly of hell, cried I, and then, and thou heard my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassioned me, right, no, com yeah, compassioned. Compassed me, I think. Uh, yeah. Surrounded, yeah. Okay, about uh, all thy billions, billows, and they, Thy waves passed over me. And then I said, I am cast out of the belly, out of thy night. Huh. Okay. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. Yet I will look again forward to thy holy temple. The Western, uh, someone else better jump in here. Again. That's okay, yeah. Waters uh, compassed, compassed. Mm -hmm. Be about that. Even to the soul, the depth closed me round about, mm -hmm. the weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains, the earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Good. Yeah, and thank you for reading the King James, because, you know, I, I think that in modern translations, I have the New King James. Some of y'all might have picked up the New King James Bible off of the tables there. Others might have the, the um, English Standard Version. But the King James brings out that poetic style very nicely, I think. Um, we see here that there's a shift. We were in prose in the narrative of what was going on. Now we're in... Poetry. Why? What do you, what do you all think the reason is for this poetic turn? Is this unprecedented? Probably not. Well, Jonah huh? was familiar probably with the Psalms. Yeah. And mm -hmm. that's what he was doing. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of so. Um, this is not unprecedented. Uh, the change from, to go into some uh, critical uh, aspects of this, scholars, you know, would like to take this out and put it at the end, uh, like after he's on the shore, 
right? Uh, because it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for him to be praying in the belly of a fish, and it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense on the face of it um, for him to be saying, yet you have brought up my life from the pit when he's still in the belly of the fish, right? So people, scholars tend to uh, uh, approach these problems or these discrepancies in a very destructive way by causing violence to the text and moving it where they think that it makes more sense. But it doesn't because this is how we've received it, so obviously it needs to stay there. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't belong because we'll see from other parts of Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, well really just in the Old Testament, this is prominent, that the change from prose, which is like a narrative, right, to poetry for Jonah's psalm is to replay the preceding events in a different key, so to speak, right? You see this with the song of Moses in Exodus 15, right? And the refrain that Miriam has, um, it just re it's replaying what just happened with the Pharaoh and his men and his chariots being tossed into the sea and things like that, right? You see it in the song of Deborah in Judges 5. You see it in David's lament over Saul and Jonathan's death in 2 Samuel 1. So you, it's not unprecedented. And it's, there, there are other examples. Those, those are just a few. That sometimes after a certain momentous event, there's a poetic shift to replay things and recap things in a way that is giving praise or lamenting or it's really a prayer to God, right? Um, so, let me see here. Jonah's psalm is classified as a psalm of declarative praise and thanksgiving. You don't have to remember that. But he's declaring praise and thanksgiving to God, right? Um, and there are three stanzas of the psalm, so it's kind of like a hymn, right? Um, in English, these stanzas, just so we can kind of look at these, you know, three stanzas, like a hymn, uh, of... Jonah's psalm. Uh, the first stanza is uh, verses 2 through 4. Um, the second stanza is verses 5 through 7. And then the third stanza is verses 8 through 9. So it's, you know, if you want to think of a hymn, that's kind of the grouping that you would have. So it would be, you know, um, the first stanza would be, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, or hell, right? I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me, and all your, all your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. That was the first stanza. The second stanza, the waters surrounded me, even to my soul, the deep closed around me, weeds were wrapped around my head. Uh, I went down to the moorings, or the you know, foundations of the, of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever, yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Last stanza. For those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Okay. Can you all look at this real quick and see who the main subject is? Who's talked about the most? Who's mentioned the most times? Things that happened to Jonah? So it be Jonah? It's Jonah. Yeah. <laughs> He's talking about himself a lot. 
Yeah, he keeps saying that. He talks I, about I, himself I, a lot, right? Yep. Is that a bad thing? No. Not necessarily, no. But it's interesting that after all this, he's, you know, crying out. You know, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, right? And you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, right? And the flood surrounded me, right? All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple, right? And in some ways, you can read this in a very satirical way. It's, it's, if you understand the book of Jonah to be satirical in a way, you can kind of see, look at what happened before. The irony of him saying, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the creator of the sea and the earth. And that's the same guy who's in the belly of the fish, right? That's the same guy. Um, and this is ironic, right? But And, and you can read it in this way. Uh, but one thing we have to understand is that Despite him being hypocritical, self-serving, and all these other things that are not very flattering, the Lord still saves him. And where is the beginning of that salvation in this second chapter? Where does he begin to save him? Let me spit out. Try again. Where does he begin to save him? You might think that on the on the outset. Maybe verse nine, sacrifice to you. Mm. I'd say one. He said, "I called out to the Lord in my distress, and He right. answered me." He saved him. The beginning of his salvation was when he was swallowed by the fish. Yeah. Otherwise, he would have died in the sea. Mm. Right? He. I mean, the Israelites are not a seafaring people. I don't know if Jonah could swim very well, especially in the midst of a tempest, you know? So think about that. The beginning of his salvation was being swallowed by a fish. And he spent three days and three nights in the belly of this fish. Um, now, we can kind of look at this psalm and see where all the turning points are. In fact, oh, isn't that interesting? There are three stanzas representing the three days and three nights he spent in the belly of the fish. And you can see in verse 2 through 4 the beginnings of his crying out to God, right? The belly of Sheol, which Sheol is the place of the dead, right? It's also known as hell. It's thought that is where, you know, um, when you look in the Greek, when Jesus descends into the place of the dead, that is Hades in Greek. That is the Greek understanding of Sheol. It's the place of the dead. It's where all people go to wait, you know, um, and it's in the heart of the earth. It's not a desirable place to be, necessarily, right? Now, there are different ideas about what the afterlife and the underworld are all about. Um, and that's kind of a, a topic for another uh, class because it's a whole other can of worms. But for Jonah, he is as good as dead, right? He's dead by all accounts. He should not be alive in the belly of this fish. Now we see in these stanzas, right, that there's this uh, crying out, this lamenting, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me, and your billows and your waves passed over me. And then we see in verses 5 through 7, you can see around verse 6, there's a turn. In some ways, verses 2 through 4 is all downward. He's going down, 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 into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and then around verse 6, you see, you have brought me up. You, you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. That's the turning point, is verse 6, where he's beginning to come up, right, in the middle of the second day, so to speak. And he comes up and up and up. But it's very, 
I don't know. Remember, this guy is the same guy who ironically said, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the creator of the earth and the seas. You know, you can see that he and Yahweh are at their closest in verse 6 right there, right? That they're in their closest where... Though the earth and its bars were closed behind me forever, yet you, O Lord, have brought up my life from the pit. They are, they are close. You know, that is, that is their closest proximity that they get, I think, within the entire book. And that's actually the midpoint of the entire book, too. Interesting thing. But then you kind of, if you read it, it depends on how you read this, right? Um... Then it's all going up from there, verses 8 through 9. Um, it gets a little funny. Who's he talking about in verse 8 there? Those who, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. Who's he talking about? Nineveh. Nineveh. <laughs> and Gentile. the sailors who threw him overboard. The sailors were pagans, right? They prayed to their idols and their false gods. And yet now, um, although, although God has brought up Jonah's life from the pit, he rightfully says this, right? That um, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. That's true! But that's why but they... follows it by saying, I'm better than that. Right, yeah. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. And this is where uh, Dr. Lessing in his commentary makes this really good point. It, like, if you see it, think of it this way. Let me read it this way. All right? Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. <laughs> the fish is sick of it. He's like, get out. Just go. Just stop. Just get out of here. Go do what you're supposed to do. You know? <laughs> Think of it that way. See? There's, see, the Bible's humorous. It, there's some funny parts of the Bible, right? Because then you see right that it's like, so the Lord spoke to the fish. All right, that's it. And it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. <laughs> so you can see here that there's some, you know, there's, there's more here than just meets the eye. There's a lot of things going on here. And Jonah is probably more complex than we might readily see. Uh, he is a lot like us, right? He's a lot like us in many ways. Um, God tells us or God desires for us to do the things that are tough. And in this day and age, um, we are facing, you know, to, to make it a little contemporary here for y'all, we are facing similar challenges where we, well, it's always been the case that there has been the unbelieving world, right? There are people who do not believe, who will not believe because they're so stubborn in their own unbelief. And yet we are called to live our lives faithful and full of hope in the salvation that God provides through Jesus Christ. And we are to be prepared to give a reason for that hope to those who uh, would ask or there would be an opportunity for us to present that defense of the hope that is in us, right? According to St. Peter, what he writes in his epistles. But that's not easy. Well, be because, because we know that what the world believes about God, right? Yeah. Yeah. And in many cases, it's not necessary because people recognize and, but they just, I mean, their heart is still hard. I'm not like you, you know, I, I realize that you have faith and what have you, but it's not for me. And they see it, but their heart is so hardened, they're not gonna, and no matter what you say or no matter what you do, you know, of course, you as an individual can't do anything. Right. But you're presenting them the opportunity to, for the Holy Spirit to work in them again. Right. 
But there is a temptation there because someone will say, that's good for you, you believe. I could never. But to agree with them would be a big mistake. Oh, absolutely. Right? I agree with that. No, yeah, I know. That's the temptation. And I'm not saying that's what you're saying, but that's the temptation to say, well, you know, I tried. Oh, well, they're just going to die in their sin and go to hell. You know, that's, that's really what it comes down to, is that all the same, we show God's love by continuing to pursue them the way that God pursues us. As St. Saint, Saint Augustine, or Augustine, however you want to say his name, calls God the hound... Um, he's call, he calls God the hound of heaven. He pursues you. He comes after you to rescue you, to save you. And if he did that for you, he surely wants you to do it for other people. Not by your power, but by his, right? And we can be like Jonah, where this call is in front of us, whether with family or friends or someone, stranger, whoever it might be that God has set before us, to proclaim salvation to them. And we have that temptation to say, either out of fear for, of rejection, we'll say no, or people might not admit this, but you might look at someone who looks a little rough around the edges and say, I don't know if I want to sit next to them when I'm in church. You don't have to admit that that's what you've thought. Maybe you haven't thought that, and good for you. That's good. But some people might think that way. They just might. And it's akin to what Jonah believes, right? I don't want those filthy pagans worshiping next to me. Salvation is for me and my people, not them. Look what they did to our people of old. They, they, they ran them down and killed them. Why would God want to have salvation for them? Right? Um, so this is to be, uh, again, a cautionary tale for us to look and see that, you know, yes, Jonah uses the words of the Psalms, but it's not necessarily a psalm that we should commit to memory. Um, but we should see it, that he is crying out. Uh, he is crying out and praising God. But it is interesting, you never see repentance from Jonah by his words. He never calls out and says, O oh Lord, forgive me, for I see my wrongdoings. I see where I went wrong. He never says any of that. Um, but in some ways... By his actions, he makes the confession, and he goes and he preaches. We'll see next week, chapter 3, and what happens when he preaches to the people of Nineveh. But for now, it's interesting to see uh, the irony of all this, and just how relatable Jonah really is, right? Um, any questions? So we can, uh, we're almost done here, but uh, that's, that's the bulk of what I really wanted to get at. Any thoughts about this? Any comments, questions? Yeah, Jonah's not too much different than we are. Yeah. One last thing I will say before, you know, maybe this will be a, a comment y'all might have, that when he calls out against people who, uh, he says, you know, those who regard worthless, uh, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, Jonah casts judgment on himself. He idolizes himself. Right? In a sense, he, he idolizes himself. Um, he has forsaken his own mercy because he put himself before God. He ran. He was selfish in his salvation and did not want it for the Assyrians or anybody else who was not born um, into the lineage or the genealogy that he was, right? Um, that's why it, it, you can see this more as, as a satirical irony that he might be calling out against 
those mariners in some ways, the sailors that threw him overboard. But they were the ones who called out to God in faith. They were the ones who, at the end of chapter 1, right, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows, right? They are not under that condemnation anymore. Uh, Jonah is in some ways, right? And we'll see more clearly how this comes to be as we get further and further along in uh, the book. But any, any, any questions about that? Any, any uh, thoughts? Really, I mean, Jonah, he said it a couple of times in here, and all through the Old Testament, you keep hearing it even in the New Testament that the Jews considered them the chosen people. And no matter what, they were going to be saved. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that the Gentiles, you know, if they professed, if they believed in the one true God, like the Jews did, then they would be saved. Yeah. Right, and Paul talks about a lot, not that it's a new thought, but that we are descendants of Abraham by faith. And that was the promise for the Gentiles, too. Um, and he shows that all throughout Romans. But one thing I'll, I'll, I'll close with here is that, well, let me ask you all. If we agree that the beginning of Jonah's salvation was when he was swallowed by the fish, then... Can you rightfully assume that God delivered Noah from the fish because of this psalm that he prayed? Noah, Jonah. Sorry, Jonah. It's going to go Noah. Jonah, Noah. I get a little off. Sorry, sorry. Thank you for catching me. Jonah. I was, I was formulating things and words got switched. So. No. Yeah, I say that because usually, usually when you, yeah, yeah, you're right, the answer is no. Because the thing is, is that you might read this on the surface and say, uh, well, God delivered Jonah from the fish because he prayed to him, right? I mean, it makes sense, right? You see, so the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Two and two together in your mind you know, without deeper understanding, might say, oh, it's because look at how he's praising God. Look at his thanksgiving that he gives to God. That's why God had him delivered unto dry land. But if you think, and I think, I think that's part of the reason why the Hebrew and the Greek numbering of the verses puts that verse 17 in chapter 1 as verse 1 of chapter 2, because that is the beginning of Jonah's salvation, being swallowed by the fish, and that God's grace comes unprompted, right? Just like Jesus died on the cross That's for right. our sins, and he saved us when he died on the cross. That's right. While was, we were was, still sinners, then. right? Yeah. Day one. Yeah, so the thing is, is that God's grace shown to Jonah is shown regardless of what Jonah does, right? Well, God had his plan. Thank yeah. God he was going to execute it no matter what Jonah did. And it's not that he needs Jonah, <laughs> right? God can, God can, you know, what is it? Um, He's doing uh, it for the best of Jonah. Yeah, well, the thing is, is that, you know, you see, you see that, uh, um, what was it? Jesus said in the triumphal entry, you know, that, that people were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, uh, uh, Hosanna to the son of David. And the Pharisees were telling people, stop crying out to him. And Jesus said, I, truly I tell you that if they would not, the very stones would cry out. Right. right? That these things are not because God needs them to be done by Jonah. But it's that his, his will is such that it's going to be done. And God cannot be mocked. He can't be defied as much as we'd like to sometimes. But he still shows his salvation in an unprompted way by grace alone. Even to those like Jonah. Self-indulgent hypocrites. <laughs> right? um, 
So just keep that in mind, that God's grace is still shown to Jonah in a way that is contrary to our thinking, but still is ultimately for his good. Um, any final thoughts, questions before we close? Nope? Okay. Well, hopefully this has given you all something to chew on and, and think about with this tiny little book in the Old Testament here. But um, uh, there's, there's a lot, lot, lot to go through, and we have more to go through in the coming weeks, so hopefully you all stick around for that too. But with that, we'll, we'll close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.